Hello and welcome back to AHP's Off The Record. My name is Enna and I usually have Joe, but for the first time I'm flying solo and Joe is having a well-deserved break on the other side of the world in Australia. But as I say, the show must go on and I'm very pleased to be chatting with Natasha, Stella and Denny today to promote the Health Education England Return to Practice programme. This is to support people who have previously worked as HPs back into their chosen profession. I've personally seen this programme work firsthand in my own um, job and I'm really pleased to hear that it's going really well and I can't wait to hear more about it. But first, let's let them introduce themselves. So Natasha, would you like to go first? Yes, hi, thanks very much, Jenna. Thanks for inviting us on. Um, as you've said, my name is Natasha uh, Pazarski and I'm the National Return to Practice Programme Lead for Health and Care Professions Council Registered Returnees here at Health Education England. Perfect. And Stella? Hello, thanks for having me on. My name's Stella. I'm a, currently working as a Band 6 Community Dietitian in Ealing and I started the Return to Practice journey just over two years ago. Perfect. And Jenny? Hi there. Um, thank you for having me as well. Um, my name's Jenny and I'm a return to practice occupational therapist. So I'm up in the northeast of England in Hartlepool and I'm about a third of the way through my journey. I started in July, August last year. Okay, good. It's quite nice because we've got a bit of a, a spectrum as well, which is lovely to hear the different types of experience the whole way through. Now introductions are done, let's get started with the questions. So I think it's Natasha up first for the questions. So Natasha, would you mind telling us a little bit about your clinical background and a bit of your journey into your current role? Uh, yes, of course. Um, so I'm a MSK physiotherapist by uh, background. And um, since I graduated in 2004, uh, I've been largely clinical, uh, progressing to an advanced clinical practitioner and team leader role. And then um, in 2019, I was uh, really lucky in that I got an opportunity to come into Health Education England as part of the allied health professions team uh, within the uh, Midlands and East of England region as it was then on a uh, secondment opportunity uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed and uh, so much so that I didn't want to leave and um, I got the role that I'm in now um, with Health Education England as the National Programme Manager for Return to Practice for um, the HCPC Registered Returnees. Lovely. And you just mentioned, obviously, that you loved it so much that you stayed. Um, we we good to hear about the programme itself, kind of how it came to be, your role within that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, um, I can't take uh, credit for, uh, you know, the uh, the um, the idea of the starting the programme, um, because uh, that was uh, back in 2017. The uh, wonderful Paul Chapman, who is the AHP programme lead here at Health Education England, um, he uh, saw an opportunity uh, to create a return to practice programme for AHPs uh, where there wasn't one. Uh, and there'd been um, a return to practice nursing programme offer uh, at the time. But uh, thanks to Paul's hard work and um, dedication uh, to return to practice, we now have one that supports not only AHPs, but the whole of uh, the professions on the HCPC register, um, which, you know, is, is awesome. And um, it's gone from strength to strength since the um, since then, really, since Paul 
had the uh, initial idea and the drive to uh, create the programme. And um, we, you know, if I can just share a bit of data with you, really, we've had uh, 754 returnees go through the programme and been supported back onto the HCPC register, which, you know, is uh, is wonderful, really. And um, and uh, they're such wonderful people to have been able to return to practice and uh, often, you know, they might already be in a job working, doing something else and they're returning to the profession that, that they love and it, it's wonderful to see, really. Um, we currently have uh, 527 uh, returners that are active starters on our programme uh, somewhere along their return journey. Um, I don't know if I can tell you a little bit about what we offer on the programme for, for all of those returnees. Or... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, please um, do. So we're really excited to have the uh, closed Facebook group, which offers a, a real... Um, a real sort of safe space for our returnees and a lot of peer support for them to kind of ask those questions in a closed environment that they want to ask each other. Um, also, it's an opportunity for us to share events and um, perhaps job opportunities that are cropping up for returnees as well. And there really is a wealth of information on there. As part of the programme, we also offer financial support. We offer £800 to returnees to support them with out-of-pocket expenses. Um, and we also offer £500 for organisations looking to support returnees as well uh, to return to practice. Um, we've teamed up with the Royal Society of Medicine to offer some discount on their courses. And we also offer access to free e-learning for health modules um, for our returnees as well. Um, obviously, we do things like signpost them to other resources and um, give them support finding supervised practice placements. But one of the main things that we do spend, you know, time with returnees is getting them started when they first join the programme as well. Mm. And things that we're sort of developing at the moment and that I'm really passionate about is uh, the pastoral support that we provide to our returnees. So I um, felt very strongly that it would be, uh, you know, a, a, it's a missed opportunity in a way not to provide them with some coaching support whilst they're returning uh, to practice to, um, you know, to help to build their confidence and, and their resilience and tackle those issues that many of us grapple with, things like imposter syndrome and things. So um, we, we're piloting this programme at the moment and, um the initial feedback is is it's being very positively received and so the hope would be that we might be able to offer this to more returnees um going forward uh so uh, we'll have to watch that watch this space on that one and and the other thing that i'd really like to share with uh, listeners as well is is um that we've got two HEIs at the moment providing return to practice programs for uh, returnees as well. And uh, we're really excited about this because it allows them to get all of their updating hours through the program and it's virtually delivered. So anybody anywhere in England can access this through the programme, which is, you know, is a wonderful addition in my mind to support the returning. Just of what you said, um, with all the developments and things with the programme, is that I'm guessing that's also involved a lot of the returnees and in, in their kind of feedback about the programme and what they found useful and, um, and have enjoyed? Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um... Well, uh, Jenny may well uh, mention this uh, shortly, but uh, we've uh, recently been um, 
involved in a bit of an innovative kind of returnee uh, placement here at HEE. And we've had a number of returnees with us on a leadership placement. So uh, doing their um, returning hours in a leadership capacity, which has been incredible opportunity for us as well as them to kind of um, get that sort of experience from each other, really. And that's lived experience from the returnees and understanding, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the things that we could do on the programme to improve the support that we offer and also new things that we've been developing, we can get their input on it. So uh, Jenny may well touch on this in a minute, but we're um, developing this SharePoint site, which I'm really excited about for uh, returnees. And uh, Jenny has been instrumental in, you know, putting the groundwork together for, for this SharePoint site from a returnee perspective, you know, to understand what it is that returnees want when they're looking to return to practice. And uh, we're also doing one actually for organisations and, and stakeholders, another SharePoint site, aren't we, uh, Jenny, that you're, you're supporting. But um, And the other thing that uh, Jenny and I have been working on is uh, a where do I start kind of presentation yeah. as well. Because yeah. that's one of the real common questions we get asked, particularly on the Facebook page, crops up, you know, quite a lot. And I think there's nothing better than a returnee hearing it from a fellow returnee um, as to, you know, what what you might want to think about when you get started. Because I think it can be very daunting and overwhelming, but it doesn't need to be. And we want to kind of demystify that sort of getting going uh, process, if you like, and and offer as much support as we can. So we very much do all the time uh, engage. Uh, We're doing some work at the moment around preceptorship with the mm-hmm. national receptorship team and we, we always are going out by survey or emails to returnees to get their feedback to you know develop the program in and shape the program absolutely uh, that i think of the returnees as my patients really very much my reason for being and my reason for um you know going into work every day and um we just want to do the best for the returnees absolutely and that leads quite nicely onto the next question because you mentioned about it feeling quite daunting and where do I start and one of the questions might be what are the requirements and what do I need to be able to join the program um yeah if you can tell us a little bit about that as well that'd be great yeah yeah so um in terms of uh requirements generally speaking from the HCPC um the longer you've been out of practice the more time you'll need to update your skills and knowledge and in terms of what that updating looks like it is a very flexible self-directed process which um, in my mind is brilliant but also that is why I think sometimes returnees can feel a bit unsure sometimes where to start which is where the program comes in you know we are here to you pick up the phone to returnees and to help them you know particularly at that initial stage um to, to get them going but so their hours can be made up of private study formal study or supervised practice and the main stipulation from the hcpc is that no more than 50 percent can be made up of private study but so they could do all formal study for example um and that is why sometimes there may be many returnees out there but they're not necessarily coming to organizations because they don't all do a supervised practice placement uh having said that there are many many returnees that do want that and um and in a way you know we would encourage that because it's great to make a link with a uh potential future employer isn't it and it's a foot in the door and 
you know, an opportunity for, um, you know, the organisation to try before they buy, if you like, if, if they're on an honorary contract or something and an opportunity for the returning to see if they feel, you know, that that's the right work environment for them as well, isn't it? And in terms of the programme eligibility criteria, I mean, essentially, if you're looking to work in England and you've been on the HCPC register previously, then, you know, please apply to join the programme. There may be others that have gained a UK approved qualification over five years ago, uh, but may have never practised or joined the HCPC register. We support those individuals as well. We support people who just feel out of practice. So, um, that maybe uh, perhaps they're looking for a change of maybe they've been in research and they're looking to go back to clinical. For example, we look to support people where we can to obviously retain them in the workforce, which ultimately um, what what we're trying to achieve. We also now support a new cohort of individuals who we felt perhaps weren't being catered for um, with the current offers that we had on different programmes. And these are individuals who may have qualified abroad, say as a physio, for example, and um, and never gone through that international recruitment process of having their qualifications mapped across to UK equivalent. So, you know, if those individuals get in touch with the programme, we advise them they go down the international recruitment route first. And then if they need support getting NHS or you know, workplace experience, whatever sector that may be in that they want to return to, we then will support them with that. And the HCPC used to have period of adaptation as a recommendation from that process. So there still are a, the odd returnee that we support with periods of adaptation, although that that has actually been stopped now by the HCPC from I think it was this year so um, you won't see so many of those coming through now so it's really about supporting with with supporting them with rather NHS experience yeah now let's have a little bit of a chat to the returnees so Jenny would you like to start by telling us a little bit about your career journey prior to hearing about the return to practice program um, yes, thanks, Anna. Um, my OT career journey was actually really short. Um, I didn't go into practice. Oh, so, okay. Um, <laughs> um, after I'd qualified, um, I actually went into education. So I went um, into, I was a teaching assistant and then um, started to teach training. Mm -hmm. And actually realised that wasn't the right thing. Not that OT wasn't the right thing, um, just at the time it wasn't sort of the best thing for us, I guess. So um, mm. since then, um, my husband and I actually own a board game business and um, we have amazing. a focus, <laughs> which is great for an OT to do because there's yeah. so many ways that you can use board gaming. Um, but our focus is working with families, um, children and young people with autism. Uh, and those who have sort of mental health problems, and um, we're doing quite a lot of work at the minute that's been co-funded by um, the council and the NHS, um, looking specifically at getting people back into into community um, following COVID. Mm. So people who've um, perhaps experienced a lot of isolation um, and and sort of struggled from that perspective. So we're using board gaming as a as a route back into into that so 
um yeah we do a lot sort of looking at how gaming can build community foster friendships and facilitate development of social physical and cognitive skills mm. um so and, and that's great because it builds on my love of board gaming my personal love of it and um it's a great way to spend time with family and friends and to meet new people as well mm. um so over the past five years i've been working as well in um, adult social care and housing okay so yeah. i did um, a year or so working as an assistive technology assessor um assessing people for telecare mm. and technology enabled care and looking at um new sort of technologies that were coming to market and how we can use those to support people to live independently um and I moved four years ago into working at a local housing association and now do more of the, I still use some assessment, but not a lot. Um, I do more of the installation and monitoring of, of equipment and responding. So, um, yeah, and it was that kind of return to adult social care. I was like, yeah, do you know what? This is what I really love. Mm. <laughs> um, keeping people independent and safe in their homes. Um, so then I, I looked at, at return to practice from there. And in terms of when you qualified initially and what was it, why did you just decide not to go into OT straight away? Um, so after three years of studying um, and I worked pretty much full time in my holidays too to pay for studying. Um, I was looking for a post that would allow me a bit more of a balance between work and family life. So my son, who's my second child, was only nine months old when I started training. Um, so he'd known nothing but nursery and um, seeing mum occasionally. Um, so, um, yeah, with a three-year-old and a five-year-old, I just wanted to be able to spend more time with them. Um, and there was an opportunity at my daughter's school to work as a teaching assistant. And I'd lo I loved my paediatrics placement that I'd done uh, on my training. So um, I went and worked at her school as a teaching assistant, um, focusing mainly on sort of small group work, doing some, actually some interventions that had been prescribed by an OT um, mm. to, to sort of do in school. Um, and also kind of doing other educational interventions that, you know, the teachers had, had identified would be helpful. Um, so that was, uh, I think also a lot of the jobs that were available locally were all mental health based. And in spite of my more current experience, I guess, in board gaming and things, um, when I'd done placements in mental health, that really wasn't my thing. Um, mm. I was much more involved. I loved my paediatrics placement, but I loved working in adult social care as well. Yeah, um, I think that was where I could see OT working really well. And that's what made sense to me. Those jobs were, were very few and far between <laughs> locally. Um, so they, they didn't sort of match with the, you know, the having a bit more family time. Yeah. But you managed to find, I mean, all the jobs that you've done since then have elements of OT within them. Yeah, and you've definitely. used your skills that you developed from your course into that. No, that's really, that's really, really interesting. Um, and Stella, it would be really good to hear about your career journey as well prior to return to practice. Sure. Um, I um, graduated in 1989, which is over 30 years ago, a scary thought. 
Um, and I started my career in Belfast and then I moved to London to make enough money to go to Australia for a couple of years. But I met my husband, so I stayed in London and um, I worked um, in a variety of roles, mostly in the community, in primary care. Um, we set up a service here in primary care because at that stage there wasn't a lot. There was a lot of funding around for primary care. So we set up a community dietetic service locally here in Ealing. And then I went into locality management, so managing AHPs and district nurses and health visitors. Did that for a few years and then um, I had two children by then and I came back to a job share post in the Whittington Hospital, um, managing a, the team and there was a nutrition nurse there as well. So that was good. I was there for a few years and then I just a year off and then I returned. By then I'd had my third child and my husband was traveling a lot. So it was all becoming a bit traveling to work, getting them to nursery, getting them to school, trying to fit activities in. And I took a couple of years off and then went back into an intermediate care role. So that was like straddling, preventing people from being readmitted to hospital and also helping them to be discharged, which I did at the Central Middlesex Hospital for a year. And then after that, I kind of um, stopped working for a while. And then it just, you know, time moved on. And at that point, there was a lot of emphasis on um, having a portfolio and CPD and mm. it's all very structured and it just felt more and more daunting the longer time came on so when it came up time for me to you know within the two-year cycle yeah. for me to um, re-register I just thought it's too big a mountain to climb at this moment so I dropped out at that point really 2011. Okay mm. I because at that time you hadn't really left you just kind of gone into lots of different roles within that which I think is quite natural for an allied health professional yes yeah and and I think it's you know it's just how life is and there were just too many other things on to try and focus on how could I fit in some hours to and I also wanted to be doing something in my mind at the time that was fulfilling and was also useful so I guess mm. now, if I look back on it now, probably a day a week or even a day and a half a week I could have done. But at that point, it just seemed that that wasn't really available to me and that it was too hard to maintain. Whether that mm -hmm. was true or not, looking back, but that's how it felt at the time. Yeah. And then what did you do after 2011? Whereabouts did you go? Were you working? Not working? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so I was ferrying children to various different after-school activities. I was also, um, I was helping out with a homeless project that we have locally. So um, I was doing some work there. And also um, there was a local pensioners group that I was helping um, with that locally as well voluntarily and um, two of my daughters were involved in dancing and I was and still am very heavily involved in the committee for that for the south of England region so I was doing quite a few bits and pieces yeah. but all of it was manageable around being a parent it was all things you could do late at night when the kids had gone to bed or during the day and there wasn't that feeling that you hadn't written up your case notes or you had a meeting looming and you weren't prepared for it. It was because it was voluntary. Somehow it made it easier to fit in with my lifestyle that time. 
Yeah, it does seem kind of from both of you, Jenny and Stella, just from with being parents and having to like just navigate your family life and um, maybe the initial thoughts of the job not necessarily being as, fle as flexible as maybe what it is now. Does that sound about right? I think actually where I'm working now, I mean, it may have been like this before, but certainly in the team that I work in, it's very flexible. Um, I would say recruitment. Of course, we don't we don't have enough people really for all for all the roles it appears, and I think there's a lot more about um, and possibly being at home through the pandemic as well has meant that there's a lot more flexibility in how you do your role, and um, I you know I think that has really helped things. I would say. Yeah. Okay. And Jenny, how did you hear about the Return to Practice programme? Um, so I had been having some conversations at work about, I guess I was getting a little bit frustrated, probably too strong a word, but you know, that idea that actually I could be doing something more. Um, I was enjoying my job. There, isn't, there wasn't a natural progression sort of ladder. It's either you do this job or you're the boss. And the boss was quite fixed. He wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Um, so I, in my sort of one-to-ones and things, we discussed how I could, I guess, build on the skills that I'd developed when I was doing my OT training and, and just fill some time that I happened to have at work. <laughs> um, so I did some lockdown learning, um, that provided, that was quite a good platform and gave me a, a good, um, I guess, a push to look at, at whether I could return to practice. Um, and also our team had a bit of uncertainty about the future of the team. I mean, you would think that, you know, the nature of the job is pretty essential, but where that sits in terms of organisational development is is obviously a big decision and a, a, there's quite a process involved. So we were, we um, I thought, well... If I can return to practice, then, you know, that gives me some security afterwards. Um, and um, I loved my training. So why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, so I looked at the Royal College of Occupational Therapists website. Um, and that was actually really helpful. They've got a, a full section on return to practice and it's it's open. It's not behind, you know, it's not behind a wall. You don't have to be a member to access it, which is yeah. I think, really important. Um, so there was information about the HCPC requirements, um, forms you could download to identify your learning needs um, and, you know, information about sort of where to go sort of from here. Um, and look at uh, there's, there's quite a lot of resources as well like little five minute reflections so if you've done some reading you can fill one of those in and it's great it's um so i found their website really helpful um so i actually rejoined arcot as a career break member um and i've been yeah i've sort of never looked back <laughs> from there amazing and then how have you found the process so far? So, yeah, talk me through 
placements, um, interviews, actually starting starting working again as well. How has that been? So I haven't, I guess I haven't got as far as as the working again as an OT yet. I haven't re-registered yeah. uh, because I'm not, I'm sort of about a third of the way through my journey at the oh, moment yeah. in terms of the hours. I need to do 60 days worth of um, updating. Mm-hmm. And so with family, job, business, that's <laughs> fitting that in is, it's quite interesting. Um, one of the things I did find tricky um, initially was finding a placement that would work alongside my work commitments because mm-hmm. our job is um, we work 24 hours over different shifts and we don't have extra staff. So if it, it makes it difficult if you want to take time off. I mean, we've, you know, enough to cover holidays and things, but not a lot extra. Um, so it made it quite difficult when I was speaking to um, organisations to when they were saying, you know, oh, we'd like you to be able to hold a caseload, even if it's only a small one. Actually, the irregularity of when I would be able to do that made that quite difficult. Um, so I was part of the closed Facebook group and I saw an opportunity to get involved in the um, Health Education England leadership placement. And I thought, well, it's online, it's it's virtual. It sounds like there's a good degree of flexibility involved. Um, let's go for it. So I applied to, to do that. And um, it was a really good way of helping me get some direction and some focus. Um, and so it and as well, I've been working, obviously, in adult social care for the past four years or so. I knew the world of the NHS had changed because it always does. But and whether whether it goes in cycles or what, um, I thought it was a good way to to participate and and to be involved in a, a placement that was maybe not necessarily traditional. Um, and it, it also was a great way to share the journey with other people. Mm. Um, so actually, even with the Facebook group, it can be quite a lonely journey. Um, you know, there's a, a focus on it being learn uh, returner-led and it being, you know, you identify your skills and your needs and and what you think you need to do to update and then go from there. As um, So actually having a placement where you met with other people who were at that, who were doing the same thing, mm. actually was really helpful and the peer support element was absolutely fantastic I mean the whole placement was fantastic to be fair I absolutely loved it um and I loved working with HE Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Natasha still hasn't got rid of me (laughs) so um but yeah uh, so I I felt quite out of depth my my depth when I started the placement um because it was leadership focused and I thought well you know I didn't even practice (laughs) so how can I be a leader um and I think part of the my journey through the placement was this light bulb moment that anyone can be a leader it's not about being the boss it's not about being paid the most or having the most qualifications um it's this it's a state of mind and the way we act in our role how we behave um and how we do our job and work with those around us so it's it, you know professionalism, willingness to help others learn, openness to new things. They're all elements of leadership. 
Um, and so that was fantastic. That sort of moment where he just clicked. Um, and yeah, um, and part of that was, um, I know Natasha mentioned it earlier, the coaching. So we were really fortunate to um, to have some coaching as part of the placement. And that was amazing. Um, we learned about the NHS as it stands, the changing landscape, um, its continuing evolution. Um, and I mean, as well, different ways to learning, action learning sets, things like that. Um, looking at sort of how we go into the world again as practitioners. Um, so yeah, it's been, it was a fantastic placement. And obviously I, Natasha mentioned as well, the SharePoint, um, which I was heavily involved in developing and gathering information for setting up the platform um, so that it can be used as a, as a go-to resource for returners. Um, because we certainly on the Facebook group, you see a lot of people asking the same questions over and over again. So that really is guided where we've gone with the SharePoint, you know, making sure that information is easy to find um, and, and open for, for those who are part of the, the platform. Um, because it can, it is confusing, can be confusing and can feel like there's a lot to take on board. So to have it there and easily accessible, I think is really important and a really good way to support returners. I think it's really nice that your placement as part of your return to practice is very much in line and in keeping with helping others return to practice too. I think <laughs> yeah. that, that's really, that's just a really nice full circle moment almost. Yeah, you're right, it is. So yeah, so like I say, I'm about a third of the way through. Um, mainly so far I've done obviously my placement and trained like courses um I've done a little bit of private study but mainly it's been formal study and and the placement so far and I'm looking at working because my job works quite closely with OTs um in Hartlepool I'm looking maybe not just yet um but you know in a few months time looking at um seeing if I can do some more clinical style placement with with them just to update my assessment skills and things. And how about you Stella? So how did you hear about the return to practice program? Um I guess a couple of years before I had started to think about it because my family were growing up and it, just my life was freeing up a little bit but I always had that bit of touch of I I don't think I think it's too big a mountain to climb because I could see I knew there were a lot of hours to do. And I'd heard about more about the nursing program, actually, than AHP. And then um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I had been involved in the Olympics and doing some Lord Mayor volunteer work. So they contacted people looking for support with um, setting up the Nightingale in, in the Excel Centre, just admin support. Now I'm making it sound much grander than it was, but... Um, and so it was at that point when everyone was in lockdown and we were going over there training lots and lots of health professionals from all over. And, and my role was part of admin support of that. And it just made me realise. And I went into quite a, we were doing the training sessions. I went into quite a few of the training sessions and I thought, 
this is where I feel comfortable. This is these are languages I know and understand and I kind of miss this. And it was the first time I really thought I could go back because actually I know I, I still remember a lot more than I thought I did. And then I started to look around on the Internet. I, I again, I looked at the British Dietetic Association um, and they had links and I um, looked in for return to practice and then the HE return to practice thing came up and you had to um, sign up for the program and for information about it. So I started from there and thought, mm, maybe, maybe. And then I just, we were all locked down and we hadn't an awful lot else to do. So I started doing the private learning hours um, on the basis that I thought I would probably go back into community dietetics because that was kind of clinical community. That was my something I knew a lot about or knew about in the past. And that's what I did. I just kind of chose the areas that had always been in community dietetics and started looking at those. Um, and, uh, um, you know, so I looked at things like NICE, like uh, all the BDA stuff, any kind of Diabetes UK, Celiac Society, all of that general information. And then I approached my ex-colleague who was uh, the manager in Ealing since I left actually quite a few years ago and um and she's always been very open she's, she's the sort of person that's very flexible and open will try and make things work and um i kind of looked at the hcpc you know the document about returning to practice and really highlighted the bits that they needed to do because i kept emphasizing that the emphasis the emphasis on the us as return at returnees rather than the organization um in terms of lots and lots of work to do. Um, and uh, so she found a supervisor within the team and then I was able to start and do my 60. I did, I chose to do, I think 320 hours over 10 weeks, four days a week, because I just felt I could get my teeth into it. And I was very yeah. fortunate to be able to do that. Mm. It was at a point when, well, we were still, um, kind of coming out of the pandemic so I, I did telephone clinics and telephone reviews and all of that but um, I actually only saw one patient face to face and that was a domiciliary visit because it was at that stage in in the pandemic um, yeah so that's kind of uh, and then what happened in terms of then the kind of like interview process and actually starting back at work Oh, yes. So I returned to the register. So I started in July of 2020 and um, I started my clinical placement in September, the end of September. And then I finished it at the end of November and returned to the register about three weeks later. And then it was just waiting for HR to get me onto the bank, which took a while. And when I was finally on the bank, I started I thought I was going to be doing a couple of sessions a week and then somebody went off sick. So I ended up covering quite a bit, which was great for me, actually, because actually, if I'd stuck with my original plan just for me of doing a clinic every few weeks or something, I wouldn't have had that complete immersion. It really built my confidence very quickly because I could communicate with patients I could chat to them that part was easy but I had to remember I, I had to be a professional and give them you know support and advice in a professional way so that was 
kind of and also I did feel like a bit of an imposter I was kind of um and silly things like I use the internet I use my pc and everything else but it was things like using the um this practice based system it was and I think it was a little bit scary because you were always with a colleague and they're there to support you but you always felt you know, gosh, they're going to think I'm rubbish. That's kind of, but you have to, I felt I had to keep quenching those thoughts. Mm. And then I've, I've, I um, then had an interview for a permanent role, half time or just over half time uh, to start in the September. And I've been doing that role since September last year. Amazing. Yeah. And how are you finding it? Um, it's great now. I'm, I'm really happy now. I do quite a varied role. Um. I do some nutrition support. I look after a nursing home that has about 12 or 14 um, home mentally fed patients. Um, I look after another nursing home and I do a general clinic as well. So I have a lot of variety in what I'm doing. I would say one of the things, big things for me that's really positive is that we input all our records into the practice-based um, patient record system one which means that now I'm party, I can see all the letters, I can request blood results. It is fabulous from that point of view. Um, and I would say, I think that the patients that we're seeing are more clinically, more like, um, that the level of support is greater than possibly 10 years ago, and that you need all that really updated information on what's happening with their treatment. So I think that's been wonderful. I think as well, it means that um, you always have this safety net that your records are open, every, everybody's seeing your records, which I think is a really good thing because it makes you stop and think about everything. Is that clear enough? Is is it good? So, um, And I've been lucky that my trust has funded me to do some, like I did coaching, a little bit of coaching. I did an inflammatory bowel disease study day. So I've done you know, bits and pieces of study um, and my team are good at, they have good clinical supervision and good support as well. So I feel like I've landed on my feet, but I have to say I have put a lot of extra hours in over and above because for me, that just makes it much better when I'm at work. So I do know that it's a big, that I'm, that I'm lucky to have that time in a way because that's the hard bit really. What you've both kind of really highlighted there is the importance of making sure that you're the, I guess, the support that you get into this from organisations and from trusts and their willingness to be able to maybe be a little bit more flexible to allow you to get that experience and support. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's really nice to hear how... As, trust that have been able to support you so well and the results that have come from that because it, it seems really positive and potentially really beneficial for the trust themselves as well mm. I think as well yeah I think you also have to well I found I don't know about you Jenny but I found I have to keep quenching my doubts as well that I, little doubts come in because and even now but very much in the first five or six months um, it was kind of, oh, you're too old, you're never going to learn this, you don't know how to find that on System 1, you can't do this. It was just, but I had to keep saying, no, 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 you're doing a great job. You're really good. You've actually taken yourself from 
being completely out of practice to practically back in. So I had to I just quench that all the time. And, and I almost, and I, it's really against my nature, but I had to keep saying to myself, you're doing such a good job. And uh, that helps. And also my colleagues were really positive as well, because rather than seeing me as a weight around their neck, I felt a lot of positivity about what I was adding to the team, you know, and I think that's been really, really helpful. You guys actually, you should be really proud of yourselves. That's something at the end of it is you've done something amazing. It's really, it is hard and you've recognised that, but you should be very proud of yourselves and keep telling yourselves that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> we'll do, good. Okay, so Natasha, um, is there anything in particular that you would like people to know about the programme and in terms of getting in contact if they were interested? Um, yes, there is. I just wondered if I could just pick up on just something that, it, you know, with Stella and yeah. so beautifully kind of explaining um, the, the real, uh, and as you pointed out, Anna, the real need for flexibility with how we support our returnees. It's so, so important because we can hear the value that they're bringing back and that, that they're going to bring back to the workplace. And it's just critical that we offer that flexibility where we can and not only in terms of like thinking about the days and hours and things, but also in terms of, um, you know, they both talked about the opportunity to do a virtual um, placement, actually. And, um, you know, that is something that's recognised by the HCPC and supported in terms of returning hours. And, you know, it's it's looking at um, different kind of placement options if they can't be supported physically in a workplace. Can we support them in a more virtual uh, capacity perhaps as well and and I think they've both talked about the the real uh, need for that pastoral support both from uh, you know from the program that, that we're running but also once they get into the workplace you know what is the provision there and I'm so thrilled to hear that Stella's had such a wonderful experience there um, with her organisation you know it really shows that that organisation really values her as a returnee and, and now a valued member of the team and, and we want all returnees to have that magnificent experience that Stella's clearly had and and to really retain those people happy within the workplace um so I just really wanted to to draw that out again actually because it's it's really so important and um something that we really want to um emphasize in terms of the national program um you know going forward over the next year as well so go sorry going back to your question we are um you know extremely happy to receive inquiries from anybody that's even just slightly thinking about it because we know that sometimes that people can think about it for some time before they actually take that leap to submit an inquiry so if people are unsure and they don't uh, you know, they can submit an inquiry via our website, you know, uh, to start the uh, joining the programme process. But if they're not sure if it's for them and the time is right for them, they can also email us. And I, I know you'll share the details of the uh, return to practice inbox. But, you know, email us. We're happy to pick up the phone and have that conversation to hopefully, um, you know, to put to bed any doubts you might have about starting on the programme. There is a, a massive amount of support available uh, via the programme and now within, um, you know, within the workplaces, whichever sector that, that people are looking to. And I think, um, you know, it's just taking that initial step, really. So please, it, it can feel daunting and it's natural to feel that 
um, you know, apprehension. But please, we are very friendly on the programme. We do want to speak to you. So please do, um, you know, come forward to us and, and we will, you know, talk you through that process. So um, that's what I'd like to say to any potential returnees that are listening. And Stella, I'm going to ask you this first, but what would you say to anyone considering returning to practice? Any top tips? Um, I think one of the, th um, I would say to kind of expect to be, feel like a fish out of water initially and just go with that because it will settle down after a while. I would also say your colleagues really appreciate your experience like, um, and uh, don't apologise for the fact that you've been away for a long time because you've got lots of other things to bring to the table. Um, and I would say um, just keep asking questions all the time and um, expect to have good days and bad days because there are some days when things just don't go right but then they're followed by other really good days, you know, um, and keep saying, keep reminding yourself that, you know, that it's that it's a big deal what you're doing and um, uh, feel the fear and go for it anyway is what I would suggest. Perfect. Love that. And you, Jenny? Um, I, I think the main one I would say is be brave Um mm. go for it. Trust your instinct um, and and trust yourself um even if you've been out of practice I mean I've been out of practice 10 years but and and when I started I didn't really see necessarily the value in what I'd been doing in the meantime but actually I mean as a parent you manage multiple diaries and <laughs> you coordinate people left right and center um you're basically a project manager um <laughs> so you know you've got all these skills that you would that you develop over time and um and just see the value in those and using them in your professional career um and and don't be afraid to try something new um so i mean like for me the leadership placement was was very new to me as a, a concept as an idea um but there are so many um role emerging placement opportunities um and that, i mean for me to see, you know, as an OT, you don't have to as um, to be doing a traditional role. You can look at using your skills in in emerging and developing roles and and um, use it as an opportunity to to go for something new if you would like to. <laughs> um, and you know there are places where you wouldn't find an OT and you look at a job description and go hang on that's what I do you know go and do it <laughs> take that grab it the chance with both hands and whether you do an honorary contract as a um, to help you return or whether you get a like a band four job and use that um just just go with it trust your instincts trust your abilities um and and ask, like like Stella said, ask. Don't you know? Drive people mad with questions. <laughs> it's it's part of it's part of the process. You know, we're not expected as we, yes, we're qualified professionals, but you don't go into you don't start a new job with people expecting you to know everything. So don't put that pressure on yourself either when you start your return to practice journey you are not expected to know everything that's what the updating's for 
to learn those things and and so ask mm-hmm. ask away <laughs> yes Nat- yeah, Natasha and uh, no, I don't know if I could just uh, come in there as well and I think um like we were talking about a little bit earlier you know one of the the, the real questions that um crops up when people you know first join the program is where do I start and if I could just offer a uh, a top tip and I don't know if uh, Jenny and Stella hopefully uh, will uh, agree as well that I think one of the um, best places to start is also looking at the standards of proficiency for mm-hmm. your profession mm-hmm. on the HCPC website because um, it can help you when you look at those to identify your learning needs and areas that you might want to refresh in. So it just helps you to focus and I think feel less overwhelmed by thinking about what your learning needs are. So it can, um, yeah, hopefully help to provide some initial direction for returnees who may be um, yeah, wondering how to get started with everything. Also, Anna, I'd really uh, like to just take the opportunity to appeal to organisations around uh, return to practice because we are um, really thankful for the support we receive from organisations that support returnees with supervised practice placements. And it can be a really quick win to bring back an average of nine years uh, experience back into the workplace within a matter of weeks. So um, if you're an organisation out there looking to support a returnee and you need support from us to um, set up your infrastructure, please do get in touch with the programme. And I'd really encourage organisations, as we've we've mentioned previously, to really consider what pastoral support they provide to their returnees to retain them in the workplace. And I, I really want to thank organisations because um, they've really supported our returnees to date. And that's evidence really over the last 12 months. We've really seen a an increase actually in our conversion rates of inquiries to starters on the programme and starters to completers. And these rates have risen by 10 and 11 percent, which I think is really evidence to me of the great work that's going on within organisations to support our returnees back onto the register. So uh, a massive thank you and uh, keep up the great work. Perfect. Thank you. And yeah, thank you all. That was that was amazing. It was so nice to hear the different like stages of the return to practice programme and um, like basically like really positive experiences which is which is great um and i hope anyone who's thinking of listening to whoever's listening to this whether it be someone that's considering a returning to practice or any ahps working within an organization to really consider like opening up their doors and um allowing people to come and work because i think it's beneficial for for everybody and the, the nhs as a whole so thank you very much all of you Thank you. Thank you. And that's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out some more information about the Return to Practice programme and how to potentially join, then please look at the links and resources that we've put in our episode description. See you soon.